0: You know, while Martin Luther gets top billing for the Protestant Revol- Reformation, and deservedly so, 133 years before he nailed those theses on the, on, the, on the door of the Wittenberg Church, 133 years before him, John Wycliffe in Oxford, England, was quietly translating the Bible from Latin into English. He, uh, he leaves a tremendous legacy. In fact, some of the most faith-filled, faithful people that I know are Wycliffe Bible translators. We know some of them. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. They have done tremendous things, continue to do even to this day. Wycliffe was translating the Bible from Latin into English, believing that every, scripture, every Christian should have access to the Bible. And it should be in a language that they can understand. Um, to us, that seems like a good thing, right? Uh, but it wasn't to the church leadership of his day, believe it or not. Uh, they bitterly opposed it. One church official said this by this translation, Wycliffe's translation, the scriptures have become vulgar. And they are more available to laymen and even to women who can read than they were to learned scholars who have a high intelligence. So the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trodden underfoot by swine. Wouldn't you love to have him as a pastor? (laughs) Of course, he wrote that in Latin. (laughs) He really did. Wycliffe replied with this, Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English. Moses learned God's law in his own tongue, and so did Christ's apostles. It's sad that this debate happened in the church. And for all of his work, John Wycliffe was posthumously declared a heretic. And all, excuse me, many of his written works were gathered up and burned. And just so no one missed the point, 43 years after he died, They dug him up, burned his corpse, and threw the ashes into the River Swift. Church people. Fast forward 150 years from Wycliffe into the early 1500s. After the printing press was invented, another English reformer, a man named William Tyndall, was able to mass produce his English Bible, greatly advancing the Reformation but also costing his life. They executed him for it. Church people. It's tragic that any church leader wouldn't want God's word in the hands of the common people in a language that they could understand. These reformers lost their lives, but they didn't lose the war. They went from heretics to heroes even in England where they had lived. Just 90 years after Tyndall's Bible was produced and dispersed, the early modern English translation of the Bible for the Church of England was sponsored by the monarch at the time, a man named King James. And the Bible was given its title after him with all its these and thou's and shout nots. May seem a bit foreign to us, but it was very common to the Englishman at the day. And only a few months ago, as I watched the coronation of England's most recent monarch, King Charles III, I was amazed as he was presented with a King James Bible when the Archbishop of Canterbury declared these words echoing through Westminster Abbey. We present you with this book, The Most Valuable Thing That this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. Isn't that incredible? Here's the problem. Most people don't believe that. Most people today don't believe that. They don't live like that that it would be the most valuable thing that this world affords? Here's a question for us. Do we live like it? Do we believe it? Pete Gregg, uh, a man that is really inspiring me with his book right now on hearing God and how to hear God. He writes in that book, if the Bible really is the most valuable thing that this world affords, the very foundation of Western culture and the primary medium by which God speaks today, why is it increasingly disrespected in public by the very societies it has built and neglected in private, even by Christians? We certainly don't face the limitations that they did in Wycliffe and Tyndall's day. And we hardly, as Americans, understand the challenges that most Christians go through in closed countries like Afghanistan or China or North Korea, or Iran, or Saudi Arabia. How many of us have uh, the YouVersion Bible app on our phone? If you do, raise your hand, look around. YouVersion Bible app, It's, it's an amazing app. I use it every morning for my Bible reading plan. And it's great. You can do all sorts of great things with this Bible. It's free, completely free of charge. And there are no advertisements on it, have you noticed? Because sponsors support the app so that we can have the word of God dispensed into language that people can understand all over the world. Do you know that there are almost 2,900 versions of translations of the Bible on the Bible app, YouVersion? And that's in almost 1,800 languages. That's on top of the hard copies that 78% of Americans own. Our problem isn't access, it's desire. Or maybe I should say lack of desire. A recent study showed that only 16% of Americans, now that's up from 2020 at 12%, which is probably because of COVID. But only 16% of Americans read the Bible regularly. Here's the problem. 63% of Americans claim they are Christian. What is happening with the rest of us? We revere the Bible. We just don't read it, observed pollster George Gallup, who went on to say, the Bible is the best-selling, least-read book in America. If God's word is the most valuable thing that this world affords, the lively oracles of God... Utterance that is from the Creator Himself that is so vibrantly alive that it can change your world and change your heart, then why don't more people read it? Why don't more Christians read it? You know, one of our problems, and I'm just gonna warn you, this is gonna go a little longer today. Jay is here to say amen. Um, one of our problems is that w- we don't know how. We, don't, we haven't learned how to read the Bible with our head as well as with our heart. Amen. We have learned how to academically read it and a lot of us are just not willing to put that effort in. And so those that do have an academic understanding, but they haven't read the word with their heart. Now, don't get me wrong. Reading with your head is very important. And I I strongly encourage all of us to read, even at an academic level if you can, but certainly where you can dig in and find out what I often say about reading the Bible. When you read it, find out what it says, find out what it means, and find out what it means for us today, what it means for you today, because God's word, logos, is certainly the word. But Rhema is when that word logos, which is recorded in written scripture, comes alive in your heart. And it changes the way you see things, and it changes the way you live, and it changes the way you love. The Rhema word of God explodes within us, and it does not return to God void. So when you read the word, do those things. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for us today? But I have to admit to you, that's not always easy. That's a bit of a challenge. Why? Well, because the Bible is very long, somewhere around 1,200 pages. It's very old, written between two and 3,000 years ago. And it's very different culturally from the way that we live today in the 21st century. And so it 's hard to relate to many of the things that are being said in those scriptures, and sometimes we can 't even relate to the way they live their lives because it 's so vastly different than the way we live our lives today. That can make all of that all of that can make it challenging to find out what it actually means and what it actually has been said. but I, I promise you, I promise you this and I have a feeling that since you're here, you're at least willing to hear me out on this (laughs) because you know I was going to be talking today. Or if you didn't, surprise. (laughs) I promise you that if you take the time to read and study the word of God, you will find it worth it. You'll You'll find it worth it because it is what is a primary tool in our spiritual formation. It's what helps us grow in christ In the knowledge of the Lord, it's what allows for us to learn how to obey and learn how to love better and learn how to live better. It is what really produces in us spiritual maturity. We'll be severely hindered in all the ways we're supposed to live for Christ and with Christ if we don't read the word. It will hinder us. It will be like a handicap to our journey and walking with Christ. We have the word. We should use the word. Or should I say, we should let it use us. Look what Paul wrote in Second Timothy to his spiritual son, Timothy. He said, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's the breath of God, it is his spoken word and we have it written down for us. And it is profitable for teaching and for reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I strongly encourage you to read the Bible and yes, with your head. Think about it. Contemplate it. Study it. Diagram it. Dig into it. Apply yourself to it. Let it be applied to your life. You'll find an abundance of helpful resources. And by the way, a lot of them are free these days. Just like the Uversion Bible app, you can find all sorts of great resources for learning and studying the Bible right online things like bible gateway and the blue letter bible and the bibleproject.com which has great resources and online courses even and podcasts and certainly online bibles bible studies bible reading plans the YouVersion app itself we have no excuse it's not availability or access is the problem for us it's desire But while you're listening to God's word in the written word, as you're reading the Bible with your head, we also have to learn how to listen with our heart. Like the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, remember we talked about them last week, who listened to Jesus as he opened to them the scriptures about himself. And and, and the Bible says, They said, did not our hearts burn within us? You know, we're oftentimes looking for an experience, encounter with the Lord. And I I love those. I love when I sense and feel the presence and spirit of God. They encountered the living word of God and their hearts burned. When's the last time you read the Bible and your heart burned? I remember I was, on hurricane duty and I was used to be a property adjuster for farmer's insurance. And this was about 11 years ago, 12 years ago. And I was on hurricane duty in South and North Carolina. I was doing hurricane claims. The hurricane had come through and I was deployed with a lot of our other company. And I was there for about four to six weeks, I think, and doing these claims. And I would work long, hard days, long, Hot, hot days. (laughs) Up on roofs and determining wind and storm damage. And I'd go and catch something to eat and go back to my hotel room about eight or nine that night. And I would be finishing up claims. And then I'd pass out and get up the next day and do it again. And God was just stirring my heart, even in those days, about being recalled into his ministry. And being called back into preaching his word. It was a process I've talked about before. But I remember opening the word one night in 1 Corinthians and it it exploded on me. I, I wish I'd brought my Bible out, you could see it. I think every word is underlined in this one whole chapter and highlighted, I felt like Brother John. I was highlighting red letters, I mean, red pens, blue pens, all these things. It was just like exploding. My heart was burning again. And that was largely how God said to me, I've given you a love for the word to share with the people. God's word, we need to encounter it in such a way that it makes our hearts burn within us, that it changes things for us. As we learn to listen to his word with our heart, in light of what we have also learned with our head, we will begin discerning what the spirit is saying to us. And he will lead us into things that he desires to lead us. He will lead us into all wisdom and truth, the word says. Again, Pete Gregg says this, if I understand what the Bible means but never hear what it says to me personally, I have information without revelation. But if I disregard its original context and ignore the bits I don't like or don't understand, like it needs to be in Latin, I'm in danger of abusing God's word by confusing it with my own feelings, preferences, and prejudices. It takes both. There are two biblical ideas that I want to leave with today. And I want, I don't, everybody raise your hand. Do you so promise not to be freaked out about what I'm about to say? Okay. Well, some of you didn't raise your hand. I saw that. All right. All right. So I wanna leave you with two biblical concepts, theological concepts that I believe can help us as we make sense of what the Bible has to say. And they're words that you might hear and think, all right, we're closed for the day. (laughs) But don't, don't, just hear me out, all right? The first word is exegesis, exegesis. Now it is actually from the Greek and it means to lead out or to guide out here it is broken down. Exegesis is the art of explaining, interpreting, and applying scripture. And it's some of what we try to do here on Sunday mornings. When we open up a Bible verse and we go through it, what I am attempting to do is to unpack, to dig in deep and to unpack what it was that the original author was meaning to say and what it was that God himself was inspiring to say. So exegesis is an important play part of digging in. Now, you don't have to remember that word anymore, okay? Just think about it, of digging in and pulling out. Getting into it and pulling out what it's meaning. It's those three questions I asked. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean for me today? Now, also, exegesis has to help us recognize that there are different parts of the Bible that are written in different styles, literary styles. Revelation is not the same style as the book of Psalm, which is not the same style as one of the gospels. The Bible Project, as I mentioned to you before, has got some tremendous free online resources, cool animations about the Bible and what its meaning is and how it can really help you. I really encourage you to look at this. But this is what they say about the Bible which is broken into several categories of writing. Approximately 43% of the Bible is made up of narrative, from historical narrative to parables. Roughly 33% of the Bible is poetry, like think of Psalms, including songs, reflective poetry, and also the passionate, politically resistant poetry of the Prophets. And finally the remaining 24% of the Bible is prose discourse which includes laws, sermons, letters, think of all the epistles in the New Testament and even one essay. So if by chance you are reading in your daily Bible reading plan and you come onto Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, you might find yourself blushing because it's really quite erotic. <laughs> Uh, it is a poem celebrating the sexual awakening of a young woman and her lover and, and the intoxicating experience of falling in love. It's, it's, it'll make you blush. Probably don't want to read it with your kids. But here's what's interesting is that it's not only describing that, it is also a metaphor about the relationship between God and his people, Jesus, and his bride. So even if you're not on your honeymoon, Song of Songs can speak to you. <laughs> but I wouldn't suggest that you bring it up if you're teaching children's church next Sunday. The second biblical concept that I wanna talk about, so that first one is exegesis. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean for me today? <clears throat> the second biblical concept is another biblical theological term called hermeneutics. Again, don't shut down on me. It is also from the Greek, and it basically means to translate or to interpret. Now, you might be sitting there being very alert as to what I've been saying and think, doesn't that just sound like exegesis? To interpret and to translate? And you are kind of right. But where exegesis refers to, to the interpretation of a specific text, like a specific chapter and verse, exegesis, excuse me, hermeneutics, is deciding which principles or tools you will use in order to interpret the whole text. Now, that's a lot of words. Let me put it this way. Pete Gregg says, it's like wearing a set of glasses, and that's what you look through to see what it is saying. It's a particular set of lenses. If I put on sunglasses, those lenses are colored. And so therefore, what I see through those lenses is impacted by what I'm looking through. And hermeneutics is like wearing a pair of glasses to get a better grasp or framework of the Bible. Because remember we said, it's challenging. It's not easy. And Curtis has spent a lifetime trying to learn it. And I think he would tell you, He has a whole lot more to learn. So we need frameworks. We need lenses through which we can see the word so that it can begin to make more sense to us. It can begin to impact us. And a hermeneutic can do just that. Now, there are a number of different kinds of hermeneutics that will help you. And I wanna mention a few just to help you, and I think you'll relate to them. First, one of them is a covenantal hermeneutic. And and that's where you take the various covenants that you read about in the Bible. The covenant with Noah, the covenant with uh, Abraham, the covenant with Moses. You take those covenants that God made between him and his people and you use them as a map for navigating all the rest of the Bible. That's a covenantal hermeneutic. There's also a dispensational hermeneutic. A dispensational hermeneutic is where it's considered that the Bible is divided into different eras or dispensations, believing that God has chosen to deal differently with humanity at different times in history. This is something that's been widely popular for about the last 160, 70 years or so. A third hermeneutic that you might hear about, and there are many others, but a liberation hermeneutic hermeneutic, which interprets the Bible primarily as a message of justice and freedom for captives. And it's inherent in the story of the Exodus where God's people were slaves and they're taken out of captivity and this paradigm, the story of the Exodus and slavery, they see as being reenacted by Jesus, which I agree, becomes and then therefore becomes the lens by which they see everything in the word. About liberty and justice for God's people. I think any of those hermeneutics can be very helpful. In some ways, I use different ones of them, some more than others. But what I think is probably the most helpful hermeneutic way you look at the scripture, the glasses you read you wear in order to read the word is a Christological hermeneutic. Christological meaning. Christ. Jesus himself. Something I believe Jesus introduced himself on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. Remember we talked about it. Those two disciples where their hearts burned within them as he opened up the scripture to them. And what did Luke tell us about what Jesus said? Verse 27 of Luke 24 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, what were the scriptures they had at that time? They didn't have First and 2 Timothy. All right, that's, that came later. They did have the Torah. They did have the prophets. They did have much of the Old Testament. The narrative, the prophets, the poetry, and so he is interpreting all of that through a lens named Jesus. Jesus entirely reframed the Old Testament through his own life, death, and resurrection. The whole scripture. And when we read the Bible, that's the lens that we should be reading through, through the lens of Jesus. I think Tim Keller has helped frame out a Christological hermeneutic about as well as anyone I have ever heard, especially in our modern day. In his his famous sermon, uh, True and Better, Keller helps us see that Jesus is the true and better way in all aspects of the word. And I I guess some in what bit of an honor of him, he passed away a month or two ago, His memorial service was this week, It's very moving. I got to watch that. I love what Keller has done for the body of Christ, especially in the Western world. And I just want to quote some of the things that he shared in that sermon, True and Better. He said, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel. Though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void, not knowing whither he went to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know that you love us Because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from us. Keller continues his sermon by sharing how Jesus is the true and better Jacob and the true and better Joseph and the true and better Moses and the true and better Job and the true and better David and the true and better Esther and the true and better Jonah. And then he concludes his sermon by saying this, Jesus is the real rock of Moses the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. The Bible's really not about you. It's about him. That is a Christological hermeneutic, where everything you read in Scripture points to Jesus, where when you read the Word, you are looking through a lens that magnifies Jesus, because everything in your Bible points to Him. While pointing to Him, there's one other aspect that is so good for us. It reveals His love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The whole Bible, as St. Augustine said, does nothing but tell of God's love. And I absolutely love this quote by Cardinal Ranero Cantalamesa. He is the preacher to the papal household. In the Vatican and has been since 1980, for 43 years. He's well into his 80s now. He has lived as this papal preacher, which means he preaches to the Pope, and to his household. They have a thing like that. I, I want a preacher. Anybody want to volunteer? It's very selective. <laughs> he has preached to the Pope. three different ones, John Paul II um, help me. (laughs) Francis and Benedict, Benedict, sorry. Thank you. And he said this, beautifully said, if the written word of the Bible could be changed into a spoken word, it become one single voice, this voice, more powerful than the roaring of the sea would cry out, the father loves you. Everything that God does and says in the Bible is love. Even God's anger is nothing but love. God is love. May we learn to read the Bible through the lens of Jesus and with the understanding that God's love is powerful and can change us. Not only reading with our heads, but reading with our hearts. May we read it and be shocked and baffled and humbled and convicted and rattled and undone and changed. Let's refrain from trying to tame his word or fit every loose end or jagged edge into our neat little orderly systems. For God's word is not contained. It is living and active. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. It is able to divide between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, judging the thoughts and attitudes of each of our hearts. And may we hear God's voice speaking to our hearts that they might burn within us, transformed by his non-conforming words that goes out from his very mouth, For it shall not return to him empty, but it will accomplish all that God has purposed and succeed in all that it was sent to do. And may we, at the end of each reading, say with the psalmist, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Amen. Y'all going to spoil me start clapping after the end of my sermon. I'm not that good. This is my wife, Donna, and uh, what we like to do is let her share what God has been speaking to her, and then we want to pray for you.
1: Back in January, my sister um, and I were sharing a book that we were reading, and in it, they quoted the um, they quoted the foreword in every Gideon Bible. And I just want to take a few phrases out of this because I feel like it's right where, um, yeah. right where you left us today. But it says, Read the Bible to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. Christ is its grand subject. Our good is its design. And the glory of God is its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. And I think it's telling in our heart when maybe one of the reasons we don't read the word is because we're worried about what he will say to us in it instead of longing to meet him in it. Mm-hmm. It's telling when our we feel the need to protect our stuff from what he might say or touch or right. speak to versus Running to be with him and to understand him and to fellowship with him in that place. And I may be saying that because those are my mixed motives and you do not have that issue. Um, but I don't think I've ever met anyone who says, I think I've prayed sufficiently. I've read sufficiently, and I've worshipped sufficiently. I just always meet people like me who say, wow, I wished I could do more. Yes. Um, so my prayer for us today is that God activates that fire in us. Yes. That makes us want to spend the time with him in his word so that the fire he lights in us will make a difference in how we live and make make us ready to give to somebody else the good things that we've heard about him there.
0: Yes, yes, amen. If that speaks to your heart, I I feel like the Lord is speaking to a lot of us, but we're gonna pray. And as we do, I'm encouraging you uh, to not sit there Um, static but ask the Lord to do in your heart what gives a hunger a burning a yearning for him and for his word and that things would change for you that you would be motivated and increasingly motivated into those things of being with him at his feet and reading his word So let's pray and as we do, you submit yourself to the Lord as he would lead you.
1: Father, the enormity of what you've provided in your son, in the living word and in the written word is bigger than our minds can conceive. And really, bigger than our hearts can believe. Thank you for raising our eyes today to see the bigness of it in a new way, to be awed by what you are offering in knowledge, in wisdom, in understanding. What an invitation to know the living God with words you've chosen to describe yourself. Cause our hearts to long to fellowship you in your word. Quicken our understanding Increase our devotion.
0: Yes, Jesus.
1: Bring us to obedience over this. That your word would live in us. It would be our life. And that your words of life would allow us to offer life. Wherever we go. Yes, Lord.
0: We know that you're a God that speaks. And you're speaking today. Your Holy Spirit is here speaking to us. You have been all morning long. Will touched it earlier, yes. knowing that your Spirit was saying something, that God wanted to say something. We know, Lord, that you're not limited by anything, even our own doubts and disbelief. I pray that the lively oracles of God, the utterance that comes from your mouth, both written and living in the spirit, would pierce our hearts and change our lives. I pray, Lord, that you would Deep in our hunger for your word, that it would be like sweetness to our mouth, that it would be like honey on our lips, that the word, as we wake up, would be the first thing that comes to our mind and it would be the last thing we think about as we go to bed at night. I pray, Lord, that your word would amaze us and baffle us and surprise us, even confront us, undo us that we might be more like you, that we might follow more fully in your steps, that we might more completely fix our eyes on you, that we might live more life in the spirit because of it. I pray for everyone sitting here today that is feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that is feeling the, the, the yearning of the Lord, the the desire to bring us closer. I pray that we would respond, Lord, not hold back, not sit back, but lean in, run forward, run into your arms, Jesus. Let your word, Lord, be central in our lives. Give us revelation. Give us insight. Give us discipline. Let us live by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.